growing in God's Word, and learning how to take up our cross and follow Jesus. This is Crosswalk with Pastor Clay Stevens from Cross Culture Church in Raleigh, North Carolina. One of the obstacles that we face in life is, say it, failure. Failure in the workplace, failure in my marriage, failure in my family, failure with my kids, failure to get my degree. That Life can be full of all different kinds of things that can make us feel like failures. And you probably know this, but God does not want us to feel like failures in life. Have you ever been asked to do something, but you were afraid of failing? Well, the truth is, the fear of failure can keep people from succeeding. What about in life? Can life bring epic fails? Can life uh, sometimes make you feel like a failure? How do you survive it? Hello, and welcome to Crosswalk. Last week, we kicked off a brand new series entitled Survivor. We're looking at some of the obstacles and challenges we face in life and what God's Word can teach us about overcoming them. Today, Pastor Clay is taking us to the book of Jeremiah, where we will find that Jeremiah faced some very challenging circumstances. Jeremiah, the guy that knew a little something about failure, and this is going to be a key phrase, knew a little something about failure from the world's perspective, okay? God wanted Jeremiah to be a prophet to proclaim God's coming judgment on the nation of Israel. As you can imagine, that was not going to be a popular message to bring. And Jeremiah was afraid of failing. But as we'll see today, it's impossible to fail when you're doing what God has called you to do. Now here's Pastor Clay. Epic fail. Can life bring epic fails? Can life uh, sometimes make you feel like a failure? How do you survive it? We're in this series called Survivor, and we're looking at some of the challenges and obstacles that we face in life. And one of the challenges and one of the obstacles that we face in life is, say it, failure. Failure. Failure in the workplace. Failure in my marriage. Failure in in my family. Failure with my kids. Failure to achieve whatever I thought when I was 18 I would achieve, failure to get my degree, failure to, life can be full of all different kinds of things that can make us feel like failures. And you probably know this, but God does not want us to feel like failures in life. Life will provide plenty of opportunities for us to feel that way. The question is, How do I overcome that challenge? How do I overcome that obstacle? God doesn't want me to live in a state of failure. You don't have to be much of a Bible expert to probably figure that out. So how do I overcome that? Open your Bibles, please, this morning to the book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter 1. We'll talk a little bit about the life of Jeremiah, although I'm only going to be covering the first 10 verses of Jeremiah uh, chapter 1 this morning. The guy that knew a little something about failure, and this is going to be a key phrase, knew a little something about failure from the world's perspective, okay? Jeremiah chapter uh, one, I wanna share with you today really three, uh, what I would call three needs that we have in, to, to have in our life in order to overcome failure in our life, okay? So glad you're here today. Jeremiah chapter one The words of Jeremiah, the son of Hilkiah, of the priests who were in Anatoth, in the land of Benjamin, to whom the word of the Lord came in the days of Josiah, the son of Ammon, the king of Judah, in the thirteenth year of his reign. 
It came also in the days of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, until the end of the eleventh year of Zedekiah, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, until the exile of Jerusalem in the fifth month. It's telling you how long Jeremiah's life was and his ministry that God called him to. Now the word of the Lord came to me saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I have appointed you a prophet to the nations. And then I said, Alas, Lord God, behold, I, I do not know how to speak because I'm a youth. But the Lord said to me, Do not say I am a youth. Because everywhere I send you, you shall go. And all that I command you, you shall speak. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you to deliver you, declares the Lord. Then the Lord stretched out his hand and touched my mouth. And the Lord said to me, behold, I have put my words in your mouth. See, I have appointed you this day over the nations and over the kingdoms to pluck up and to break down, to destroy and to overthrow, to build and to plant. Father, uh, this morning, thank you for the privilege of, of being here again. Thank you for these people who have lots of choices of what they can do with their Sunday. They have lots of churches these days uh, to choose from, but they've come here, so I'm grateful for that. Uh, but God, I, I, I'm also grateful for their willingness to just uh, open their hearts and their minds uh, to the truth of your word today as I uh, attempt to just communicate what it is about overcoming failure that we need to know. There's not a person in this room, I suspect, we're listening to this message that has not in some sense experienced some type of uh, failure in their life. They may feel like epic fails at times, Father God. So help us to, to learn what, what do we do when something like that happens? How do we overcome it? How do we live in the victory that you really want us uh, to live in and not live a life of regrets or what ifs or I should haves or why didn't I, but that we would that we would be the person you've called us to be and live the life you've called us to live, despite what may or may not have happened in our life. We give you praise and honor and glory in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen and amen. I want to share uh, three needs this morning, and we'll start with this one from verses 4 through 7. God doesn't need our ability God needs our availability. And if you want to, even if you take it notes, if you use that outline, if you want to cross out our and put mine, God doesn't need my ability. God needs my availability. In, in making a statement like that, when I say that, that God doesn't need our ability, God needs our availability. When I say, use the term need in relation to God, you understand that doesn't, it doesn't mean the same thing as when I would use that term in relation to a person. When I, when I say a person, when I, when I say I ha- would have a need, it doesn't necessarily mean the same thing when I, if I would say God has a need. God is God. He needs nothing. God is all-knowing. God is all-powerful. God is everywhere present. God needs nothing. He doesn't need us. He didn't need us. That's one of the 
astounding truths of what it was that he did. It's what, part of what makes his grace so amazing. He wasn't lacking in anything. He wasn't insufficient. He what, didn't feel unloved. He wasn't lonely. He needed nothing, and yet he still chose to do this. So when I use the term need, I'm not saying that, that there's something void or missing in God's life. What I am saying is that God, in his sovereignty, in, in, in his plan of who he is and what he does, that he has chosen to allow us to have a part in his kingdom work and what he desires to do. And what you and I need to understand is that it honestly has nothing to do with our abilities as as able as we may or may not think that we are. It has nothing to do with that. It has to do with our availability to God and His plans and purposes for our life. Now, that doesn't mean that we do not have abilities. Some of you are amazingly skilled at at things that I can't even comprehend. It doesn't mean that we don't have abilities, and it doesn't mean that God doesn't use those abilities, those the education and and particular skill set and experiences doesn't mean that God doesn't use those things. But what it does mean is that those things are not necessary for us to be used by God. He doesn't need our ability. He needs our availability. Jeremiah was from the family, a line of priests. He grew up, lived in Anatoth, basically a suburb of Jerusalem. And God comes to him as a young man and basically tells him that he has, a, he has a plan for him. He has a purpose and something he wants to do in his life and, and with his, his life. In fact, he says, before I formed you in the womb, I, I knew you. In other words, before, before Jeremiah had even been, been completely formed in, into the person that he would be, God already knew the purposes and plans that he had for Jeremiah. Now, that not only tells us of the value, the precious value of every single life in the womb, but it also tells us the precious value of every single life in the economy of God and what God would desire to do in and through each of our lives. Jeremiah is resistant to the call, the assignment. And what's interesting about his resistance to the assignment is it does not appear at this point that God has told him what his assignment is going to be. I mean, not he hasn't spelled out the details because what God is calling Jeremiah to do, and like I said, I'm not gonna read the whole book of Jeremiah, maybe... Many of you have read the book before, maybe you know the story, but God has given Jeremiah the assignment of going to the nation of Israel to tell them that judgment is coming on them. Not that judgment is coming if you don't turn around. Not that y'all better get right or something's going to happen. No, he's given the assignment of telling them that judgment is coming because the nation of Israel had this pattern where they would, they would turn to God, they would follow God and and they turn away from God and go away from God. Then they turn to God. Bad times come. They turn to God and follow God. And they turn away from God and go in another direction and go away from God. This was a pattern for the nation of Israel. Not unlike some people I've known. Probably not even unlike myself at times. And they, quite honestly, had turned their back on God one time too many. And Jeremiah is chosen, given the assignment, to deliver the bad news. We could probably understand his resistance to that assignment, right? 
I mean, we could probably, because, listen, A, Jeremiah doesn't want this to happen to the nation of Israel. He doesn't want to see these people suffer. And believe me, if you know anything about that book or if you know anything about the history of this period in, in the life of the nation of Israel, it was not going to be pretty what was going to happen to them. He, he, doesn't, he doesn't want that. And can I just say this to y'all off the record? No, it's, it, it always makes me a little nervous when somebody seems a little too happy to deliver news about God's judgment on somebody. I'll just be honest with you. I've seen a few too many Facebook postings from people who profess to be followers of Jesus who seem quite happy to tell a particular person what God is going to do to them and how his judgment is going to come down on them for their beliefs or, or their rejection of God. Not, not that people don't need to know the truth, but if you know anything about the judgment of God, it, it shouldn't bring us, it shouldn't be a source of, of happiness to us that, that God is going to judge non-believers. Don't always make me a little nervous when people are just a little too happy to, let me tell you what's going to happen to you. Jeremiah, Jeremiah's not looking forward to that, so we could understand why he wouldn't necessarily want, I don't think any of us would be looking to sign up for that one. And, and B, another reason he wouldn't necessarily want to take this assignment, this is not going to make Jeremiah a popular guy. All right? This is not going to make him a popular guy. He's, he's going to be rejected. He's, they're not going to want to listen to him. And I, listen, I'm just telling you, as a pastor, knowing that you have a message from God and that's something that you believe God's laid on your heart that you want to deliver to people, and when people don't want to hear that, it's a very lonely place to be. And they weren't going to want to listen to him, and they were going to reject him, and they were going to say bad things about him, and they were going to uh, throw him in a dried-up well, leave him to die, and he was, they, were going to, they were going to throw him in prison. He was going to spend much of his life in there. He wasn't going to make him a popular guy. So we kind of maybe perhaps understand a little bit about why nobody's looking necessarily, wouldn't necessarily be looking to get on that assignment. But here's the thing. Like I said, the text doesn't seem to imply that God has told Jeremiah at this point that that's what he's going to do. Jeremiah probably a teenager, doesn't want to take this assignment. Oh, no, Lord, don't, don't, no, I, I'm, I'm but a youth. I, I, Jeremiah doesn't want to take this assignment because he doesn't think he has the right stuff. He doesn't think he has the ability to do what God is going to ask him to do, even though he doesn't know fully what it's going to be yet. He doesn't think he has the ability. And what Jeremiah has to understand and what you and I have to understand is it has nothing to do with your ability. Or my ability. It has to do with our availability. I want to show you a, a clip, a video. Uh, it's one of the white chair I am second videos. We've done one or two of these in the past. This is a little bit lengthy, but it's important that you see this. It's the story of a, a man named David Ring. Some of you may be familiar with David Ring and who he is and what he has done. But uh, I'll let David uh, tell his story. Born to lose. I was born dead for 18 minutes. When I was born, I was still one baby. I was dead baby. I was blue baby. They put my body on a table in the corner and left me for dead. But it's not over. Until God say it's over. When I was 11 years old, my daddy got sick. Two weeks later, my dad died with cancer of the liver. 
when I came along, I'm, I'm the baby of eight. And I'm not only the baby of eight. I'm a eight number mama, baby boy. I love my mama. My mama did everything for me. She fed me, she clothed me, she bathed me, she walked with me and helped me. But one day in my life, my mom got sick when I was 14 years old. The doctor came to my family and said, your mama will never come home again. She had cancer. She had said much. At the very moment to live, I'd say, no, my mama, my mama will never abandon me. My mama told me, I, I will never leave you. I will never abandon you. But I, I got down on my knees and prayed, God, don't take mama. God, don't take mama. God, don't take mama. But in October, 1968, my mama took a last breath. And when my mama died, I didn't want to live. I wanted to die too. I didn't have one thing to live for. Everywhere I want people make fun of me, they look at me and they point and call me every name other than my own. He said, look, the boy walk funny. Look, the boy talk funny. I went home every day and got in bed and chilled, rolling down my face, begging to die. I attempted suicide every other day for two years. Everybody gave up on me. I gave up on me. One night, I went to church. I didn't want to go to church. I've been to church, but God don't love me. If God love me, why God take away my mama? If God love me, why God pick on me? God don't even like me. But that night, I sat down in a church. Then I found out. One thing I found out that God does love me. And I had a wonderful plan for my life. I found out that I'm not okay, but that's okay. God loved me just the way I am. And that night I, I came and I gave my life to the Lord. I went back to school after that night. That stood the body that called me every name other than my own, a public school. They were so dumbfounded. They had to call together a large good assembly to find out what changed my life. And I said, stood the body, I. I'm not the same anymore. I've been changed. I gave my life to God. I'm not, I don't want to die anymore. I want to live. Why? Because I got something worth living for. 
They bugged me to be the most popular boy in the Studemarty. I became popular where I gave my life to God. God called me to go all over the United States telling my story. They tell me I, I will never be I will never be a preacher. They say you won't ever make it. But I only been doing it 37 years. They said nobody will invite you to their church. Uh, but I have spoken in over 6,000 churches. We throw away broken things, but God don't. God used broken things. They told me I will never find a wife. No woman will love you. You're not good enough to be loved. But September 5th, 1981, God gave me a beautiful bride. We have been together for over 28 years. They told me I would never be a daddy, but I am not one for full time. Every time I look at my family, all I can say to God be the glory, great thing he had done. I thank God every day for taking away my mama. If God did not take away my mama, my children would not be born. If God did not allow my mama to die, I would never find a wife. God saw a dead baby, and God brought that dead baby to life. And one day I'm going to wake up, I'm going to have me a brain and body, I'm going to see my mom and my dad again. We're going to live forever. And I'm going to say to my Lord, Lord, why have you been so good to me? And I hope it will say, well done, good and favor. Everybody want to be loved. Everybody want to be loved. It took David a while to accept the idea that God would call him to be a preacher, an evangelist. That God would call somebody with cerebral palsy to go and to speak in churches because, because we wouldn't do that. Mankind wouldn't do that. People wouldn't do that. We'd want the, the best, the most polished speaker. We'd want the, the guy that was the most dynamic, that had the best delivery, that could tell the funniest jokes. God doesn't care about our abilities. He cares about our availability. That's all he's asking for. Listen, you need to understand that from the world's perspective, Jeremiah was an utter failure. 
because nobody listened to his message, because nobody wanted to hear a doom and gloom message. And what part they did hear, they rejected, and they beat him, and they threw him in prison. He spent most of his life, or a significant part of his life, in prison or in a dried-up well that they'd thrown him down into to die. From the world's perspective, he was a failure because, because people, didn't, people didn't flock to his message. People didn't, people didn't repent of their sins. People didn't, didn't recognize how far they drifted from God and, and, and turned back. They, they went farther from God. They, they rejected his message even more. But that's not the point. The point is that Jeremiah was faithful to what, called him, what God called him to do when he responded and said yes to God and it had nothing to do with his ability. It had everything to do with his availability in his life. Whatever in your life you may look at as a failure or whatever abilities you may look at and think that you don't have or wish you had, please understand, it doesn't have anything to do with that. It has everything to do with you being willing to say, God, I don't know what you would do with a person like me in high school or in my retirement years or in working at this place or in the middle of that place or as a, as a homemaker or as a butcher, baker, candlestick maker. God, I don't know what you would do with me, but, but I'm here. I, I'm available. If you'll use me, I, I'm here. I'm available. Because listen to me. Before he formed you in your mother's womb, he knew you. And he knew the plans and purposes that he had for you. Here's a second idea this morning that you need. We don't need our fear. We need God's favor. That's what we need. We don't need our fear. Oh, it, oh, listen, look at verse eight. God's speaking to Jeremiah. He says, do not be afraid of them for I am with you to deliver you, declares the Lord. Do not be afraid of them for I am with you to deliver you, declares the Lord. With failure in our life comes fear, doesn't it? Fear that uh, I'll do it again. It'll happen again or it's not going to change. I'm going to keep on failing or I won't be successful at whatever it is. But particularly in this in this these plans and these purposes that God calls me to in my life. If I if I've been unsuccessful if, 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 by the world standards, if I haven't done how I thought it should go or what, what, what should happen. Uh, fear is going to be there, right? Especially when God begins to move and he's directing us towards something, something he wants to do, a way he wants to use us for kingdom purposes. And fear is there, man. And David, God says to Jeremiah, do not be afraid of them. Oh, he, he had plenty of reason to be afraid. God tells him in advance, they are not going to like you. They are not going to like your message. They're going to harm you. They're going to they're abuse you. They're going to, do not be afraid. See, we don't need our fear. That will come at us. But what we need is God's favor. And when Jeremiah understood that he had God's favor, despite what the people did or whatever else the people did or did not do, if he knew he had God's favor, then he knew he was going to be all right. And the same is true for us. If we know we have God's favor, we really don't have to be afraid of whatever he calls us to do. I want to read you a story real quick um, from the book Jesus Freaks. It's a, I've used this book before. It's been a few years, I think. It's a collection of stories of people uh, throughout history who have been uh, persecuted for their faith in Jesus Christ. You know, it's hard for us as Americans to understand or comprehend the type of 
persecution that, that I'll read in just a moment. It's hard for us to comprehend this kind of persecution that has gone on throughout history and still goes on in other parts of the world. The story is about a young lady named Alice uh, Munt. Rose uh, was her, her mother. She's kind of come into the story. Alice Munt was a young lady, a teenager, who lived at a time when her family is going to be persecuted because of their belief in, in faith in Jesus Christ and in his finished work on the cross as what was necessary to obtain entrance into heaven. They're going to be persecuted by a group of people who called themselves Christians. But they believed that, that the, their church, the church, was the only way that, that any person, they had to follow their understanding. They had, to, they had to keep their sets of rules and regulations if they wanted to go to heaven. And they, Alice and her family, had discovered that Scripture taught something else, that faith is what was required for this relationship with God. This takes place in England in 1557. Imagine if this is you, if you're a teenager in this room. Imagine if this is your child. Rose Allen jumped up from her bed and peeked out the window. There in front of her door stood a sheriff, two police officers, and a crowd of people carrying torches. They were talking with her father on the doorstep. She looked at the clock on the mantel. It was two in the morning. Rose's mother, Alice Munt, had also been awakened by the loud pounding on the door. What is it, Rose? She whispered. They've come to get us, mother, Rose whispered back. Rose could hear her father, William, letting the men in below. And then she heard footsteps coming up the stairs. Friends had warned them of the danger of not attending the official church, but their sense of duty to the truth was stronger than their fears. They continued to worship in secret places with a few men and women of like faith. Now the authorities had come to take them away. Alice, who was not in good health, was so shaken up by the sudden alarm that she felt faint. She asked the sheriff if her daughter could get her some water before they all left for prison. The sheriff allowed Rose to go to the well. She took a candle and a pitcher to the well and returned with the water. And as she came back toward the house, the sheriff met her at the door and said, Persuade your father and mother to act more like good Christians and less like heretics. And then they'll soon be set free. Sir, Rose replied, they have a better instructor than I, for the Holy Spirit teaches them. One who, I hope, will not allow them to err. Well, it's time to lock up such heretics as you. The sheriff replied, I reckon you will burn with the rest for company's sake. No, sir, Rose replied, not for company's sake, but for my Christ's sake, if I have to. And I trust in his mercies that if he calls me to do it, he will enable me to bear it. One of the sheriff's men shouted, prove her now and you shall see what she will do by and by. With that, the sheriff took the candle from the girl and holding her wrist in a firm grip, put the lighted candle under her hand, burning it across the back for so long that the skin peeled off, the tendons cracked, and the bones showed. Cry, wench. Let me hear you cry, she yelled. He yelled. Rose refused to utter a sound. When he finally pushed her away, Rose said, 
Sir, have you done what you will do with me? Yes, and if you don't like it, then mend it. Mend it, said Rose. No, the Lord mend you and give you repentance if it is his will. And now, if you think it good, begin at the feet and burn the head also. For he that sent you to do this work shall pay you your wages one day, I promise you. And having said this, Rose carried the water into the house to her mother. The same morning, the sheriff and his men arrested six others. And after they had been in prison a few days, they were all brought to trial. Each one answered with firmness and refused to change their belief in any way. And they were sentenced to be burned at the stake. When they were brought out, the martyrs knelt, said their prayers and were tied to the stakes. And when the fire rose all around them, they clapped their hands for joy in the fire. The people who looked on, thousands of them cried out, Lord, strengthen you. The Lord, comfort you. The Lord, pour out his mercies upon you. In other words of comfort, the martyrs gave themselves to the flames with such courage that all who saw them were amazed. I don't know how you can explain that other than the supernatural power of God taking away fear in the midst of what should be a terrifying time. And God saying to us what he said to Jeremiah, do not fear them, for I am with you to deliver you. And if you're sitting there thinking, well, well, God didn't deliver Rose and her family, that's a matter of perspective. Yes, they suffered for their faith, just as you and I may suffer for our faith in this world. But they woke up in paradise where they will be for all of eternity. So you tell me whether God delivered them or not, unless you don't believe in a place like that. See, we don't, we don't need our fears. We need God's favor on us. And if we know we have God's favor, then we don't have to fear what others think about us or do to us or what circumstances deliver to us. And we know we have God's favor if we answer his call. If we simply will do what he has asked us to do in the world in which we live and in places that may seem mundane or may seem unimportant or may not be significant or may not be in front of thousands of people, but it's just doing what God has called us to do. And listen to me, when you do that, like Jeremiah, you can't fail. It's impossible to fail. No matter what the world thinks of you, you don't have to be afraid. How does the psalmist put it in the 23rd Psalm? Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil for you are with me. That's not just words to read at a funeral, ladies and gentlemen. That's words that we need to read into our life every day. We face things that would make us fearful of our future or what would happen or this or that or whatever. Okay, let me give you real quickly one further idea this morning, then we'll close out. The world doesn't need our presence. The world needs God's power. Let me read verse 9 and 10 to you very quickly. Then the Lord stretched out his hand and touched my mouth. And the Lord said to me, behold, I have put my words. I have put my words in your mouth. See, I have appointed you this day over the nations and over the kingdoms to pluck up and to break down, to destroy and to overthrow, to build and to plant. You know what that sounds like right there? That sounds like a pretty successful guy to me. It sounds like a pretty successful guy, but not from the world's perspective. From the world's perspective, he was a a failure but who cares? Who cares what the world thinks? All of this is turning to dust anyway, sooner rather than later. 
from God's perspective. God had this huge plan for Jeremiah to, to, to build up, to tear down. It's just God's way of saying, man, you're going to have a kingdom impact. You're going to have a kingdom impact, Jeremiah. Oh, not me. I, I'm just a teenager. I, I can't do it. Jeremiah, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you already had purposes and plans for your life. And I'm telling you right now, if you'll do what I'm calling you to do, you're going to have a kingdom impact. Listen to me. There, there have been a few people in the history of the world who have had a significant impact on this world temporarily. You and I have the opportunity to have a significant impact on this world for eternity by just answering the call. To what, God, to what God calls us to do. And it has nothing to do with our ability. It has to do with our availability. It has to do with, with, with being in God's will so that we know we have God's favor and we don't have to be afraid. And then it has to let God's power work in and through us. It may sound strange to you when I say that the world doesn't need us, but the truth is it really doesn't. And by that, what I mean is the, God, the world doesn't need the best version of me that I can come up with. You understand? It doesn't need the, the most talented this or the most gifted that. The world needs the power of God. The, the world needs to see and experience the power of God exhibited in and through our lives. In, in answering the call and the victories that we experience in our lives, the world needs to see that, needs to experience that. And that's what will have a kingdom impact. Listen. Can I just say this to y'all? Whatever... Whatever has happened in your past, whatever supposed failures you believe that you've had, stop living in those failures because unless you've been able to invent a time machine out of a DeLorean, you can't go back and change it anyway. But what you can do is say, God, here I am. I, I don't well know what I've done in my life or not done in my life, but here I am. Whatever you can, whatever you would, whatever you desire to do with my life, I just make myself available to you and watch and see what God does with that. When his power is turned loose in, in one teenager, in one adult, in one uh, senior citizen, in one uh, junior high uh, boy, in whatever the case may be, in one family to see God's power working in and through, having an impact, a kingdom impact on the world. If we just say, God, here I am, you cannot, listen to me, you can't fail, and neither can I. From the world's perspective, Jeremiah was a failure. The people wouldn't listen to him, and they wouldn't repent. But what Jeremiah had to learn was that his responsibility was to preach what God had commanded him to preach. He wasn't responsible for how people reacted. Jeremiah wasn't a failure because he did what God asked of him even though it wasn't easy. Life for us isn't always easy, and the calling God has for us to live holy in an unholy world is not easy either. But when we respond in obedience to God's will, we can't fail. To survive failure, we need to walk by faith and trust God with the results. We invite you to join us on a Sunday morning at Cross Culture Church. We gather each week in a casual and contemporary atmosphere to celebrate the goodness of our God. Cross-culture may be a little different from what you're thinking. Sure, we're a church, but instead of religion, we're about a relationship, a community of believers where Jesus is revealed in the lives of each person, real people who truly care, solid biblical teaching from Pastor Clay Stevens, and the most energetic, fun, and safe kids program around. Find out more at crossculture.church.
Cross Culture Church in North Raleigh, taking the cross to our culture and taking our culture to the cross.